Welcome to the 177th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. Uh, on this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions, as well as our weekly looks at college football, MLB, and the NFL. We will be looking at the NBA starting next week. I know the season has started, but, you know, we're letting uh, we're letting everything settle in. There's definitely been some major news this week, but uh, we'll get there next week. But for now, that'll be after the World Series, obviously, too. Uh, but for now, let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in the NCAA, I went 4-0 this week. Uh, Ohio State beat Penn State 44-31. That was a win for me. Kansas State beat Oklahoma State 48-0. That was another win for me. UCF beat number 20 Cincinnati 25-21. That was another win for me. And finally, Tennessee beat Kentucky 44-6, which brings me to 14-2 over the last four weeks in college football picking, including eight straight wins over the last two weeks. So I'm very satisfied with how I'm doing in college football. And now I'll move on to the rest of the predictions. Uh, I went 3-1 and one in the NFL and 2-2 two and two in the NBA and add it all up. 9-3 and three combined, a 613-350 and 350 overall record, which is good enough for a 59.4 winning percentage. Uh, I'm 17-7 and seven in the last two weeks, which is pretty good, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Uh, in the NBA, still 500 both weeks. Uh, the Grizzlies lost on really a, a miraculous run by the Jazz at the very, very end of the game, uh, and without jaw, that is for the Grizzlies. I unfortunately did not know that when I picked it, but I would have picked differently, but you know what? The Jazz have been a very surprising team all year, and uh, another good result for them. Then the Cavs beat the Celtics. That was a loss for me. Uh, the 76ers beat the Raptors. That was a win for me. And finally, the Suns beat the Pelicans. That was another win for me to go to 2-2. Two and two. Uh, circling back to the NFL, the Ravens beat the Buccaneers 27-22. to That was a correct prediction for me. The Seahawks beat the Giants 27-13. That one I predicted incorrectly. Uh, the Bills beat the Packers 27-17. That one I predicted correctly. And the Vikings beat the Cardinals 34-26, which I predicted correctly as well. Uh, something to note this weekend, only one of those games were between two teams who were above 500, just the Seahawks and the Giants, which... Of all of those teams that I predicted, if I had told you that before the season, you probably would have been pretty surprised that the Ravens and the Buccaneers had a team under 500, and the Bills and Packers, one of those two teams, was under 500. But here we are. It's been a weird season, and uh, we'll talk about that weird season more uh, later on in the podcast. But for now, my predictions for next weekend's games will be posted on our website on Thursday. And let's now move on to a quick look back at Week 9 action in NCAA football starting with the best games of Week 9. Uh, on Thursday night, we had number 14 Utah playing Washington State. Utah won that game 21-17. to Washington State mounted a fourth-quarter comeback that just came up short, so maybe game wasn't exactly as close as uh, it looked on the final scoreboard because it was uh, Utah 7-point lead at the half and 21-7 at the end of the third quarter. But you know what? Washington State deserves credit for making that game close, and... Uh, keeping it at a four-point spread by the end of the game. Uh, and speaking of four-point games, UCF beat Cincinnati 25-21. to uh, Cincinnati was not playing well throughout a lot of this game, uh, settling for field goals, not really getting anything going offensively, but then UCF 
uh, got their quarterback knocked out of the game, and that almost uh, almost lost them the game. John Rice Plumley was knocked out in the second quarter, I believe. They were up ten to nothing, but his injury kind of not necessarily gave Cincinnati momentum, but killed UCF's momentum. Uh, they had to get it back in the fourth quarter. They scored thirteen points in the fourth quarter after getting a safety from their defense that made it thirteen to twelve in the third, uh, and then they ended up winning twenty-five to twenty-one because of that safety. Uh, and the other touchdowns that UCF would go on to score later in the fourth quarter. Uh, They won by four. It was kind of an upset, not really an upset. I believe they were favored. Uh, I picked UCF, uh, but uh, I believe that that game was UCF as the favorite, despite Cincinnati being a top-20 team and UCF being an unranked team. Now that has flipped. Now UCF is ranked, and Cincinnati is no longer ranked. Uh, But we'll move on now. To the biggest upset, speaking of upsets, uh, maybe one of the reasons why I didn't want to put UCF in this category was not because of the merit of their win as an upset on its own, but because of the magnitude of the other upsets that took place, starting with Louisville beating number 10 Wake Forest 48-21. to Louisville was 4-3 and on the season coming into this game, uh, but they had just looked very bad at the beginning of the season, and before we knew how good Syracuse may or may not be, uh, we thought that that loss by Louisville was pretty embarrassing. They scraped by against USF, who was having a horrible start to their season. But then they beat UCF, and it was kind of confusing because how could they beat a team like that when they'd lost and played poorly against Syracuse and against USF? But all of a sudden, this team has kind of turned it around. They're 5-3. and three. They just need one more win to get to a bowl game, which would be a successful season for this program. I'm not saying that Louisville doesn't normally make bowl games, but... Last few years, they've kind of been up and down since the end of the Lamar Jackson era, and some of the time they've been making it, others kind of just floating around the edge of bowl game eligibility and not making it. Uh, I believe they did make one last year, or at least the year before that, uh, but still not necessarily a team I expected to be 5-3 and three and with the same record as Wake Forest in the ACC, or at least same winning percentage, they're 3-3, three and three. Wake Forest is 2-2 two and two in the ACC. Uh, But especially not, I definitely did not expect them to go and upset Wake Forest in this game. I mean, Wake Forest was number 10 in the country. Whether that was accurate or not, I don't really know. Uh, But at the same time, they only had that really, really close double overtime loss to Clemson. And while I really don't think there's a single, I mean, you can make the argument there's not any top 10 teams in all of the ACC if you look at how weak Clemson has looked in games since then, and the fact that Notre Dame was then able to go beat Syracuse. I mean, the the conference does not look very strong, especially at the top, and in general, not not very much at all. Uh, But still, Wake Forest was definitely kind of solidified as the second-best team in the conference, and they put up that great fight against Clemson, brought that game to double overtime, and then went on the road and beat Florida State, and you thought that all of a sudden you know what, this team, they deserve a lot of credit for what they had, but all of a sudden this Louisville loss kind of throws that into question and makes you wonder how good Wake Forest actually is, or really is the ACC just kind of a a bigger version of the Big Ten West where every team is just beating each other and just, just kind of random, or even you could argue kind of like the Big 12 this season, and we'll get to that one in a second. But speaking of Big 12, let's talk about a team who was formerly in the Big 12 and has some enemies still in the Big 12, Missouri beat number 25 South Carolina 23 to 10 uh for Missouri to go on the road and beat a ranked team is just utterly surprising I think is the best way to describe it it's just this is not a team that's supposed to be really good at all 
Uh, previously were one and three in the SEC. They had that close game against Georgia. Again, kind of similar to Wake Forest, actually. Uh, but they hadn't really managed any wins in their other games, had a non-conference loss. And just in general, they just didn't look great this season. South Carolina was able to go on the road and beat, uh, or at least get a win over Kentucky. I forget if that was on the road or not, but, you know, that was without Will Levis, but they still deserve some credit. They beat A&M, who A&M might have been overrated at the start of the season. Well, not might have been. They're three and five. They're definitely, they definitely were overrated preseason, but they were at least, they might be better than the three and five record indicates, I guess you could say. Uh, so that was not necessarily just a, a win that wasn't of any quality by South Carolina. Uh, and they had snuck into the bottom of the rankings just because they just kept winning. But now all of a sudden they will be out, probably won't make it back in before the end of the season. They have a tough schedule. Uh, they just, I mean, they're, they're playing a tough schedule. They have Clemson as a non-conference opponent. They have Georgia. They have rough crossover games. They've just had a lot of bad, uh, things that didn't go their way in scheduling with the SEC. And sometimes it can lead to a six and six season being incredibly successful, even after you only went six and six last season. Uh, but honestly, South Carolina, we thought that, well, actually my dad actually said that they could be a surprising team at the beginning of the season, but with seven and five being considered a successful season, they might end up seven and five. They might end up six and six. I don't exactly know their schedule, but I don't really see, I don't really see why this team would lose four games in a row unless they literally play Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, and LSU, and I don't think that's their schedule, but if it is, maybe they will go five and seven and miss a bowl game. If they, if they just don't play one of the top teams in the SEC and they've already played some of those games, I mean, they are going to lose to Clemson at the end of the season, but they should have an easy enough schedule to at least pick up one more win, uh, before the end of the year and make it into a bowl game. But yes, this was a huge upset with Missouri going on the road and taking that game from South Carolina. And speaking of more SEC action, Let's go to the most impressive teams, which included another SEC battle. This one between number three, Tennessee, and number 19, Kentucky. They won 44-6 to over Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee fans can't really chant just like basketball because, you know, Kentucky's pretty good at that too. Uh, but Kentucky, they had all the preseason hype. Maybe Will Levis' injury that led to that loss at South Carolina means this team's really just a 5-2 and two team that had an unlucky loss at Ole Miss and ran into a juggernaut offensively in Tennessee. But this was definitely a horrible performance from them, and uh, I don't really think it was because of their own failures. I really just think that Tennessee played that well, and that's why I have it on most impressive. Um, obviously, it couldn't be a best game anyway because, well, this game wasn't close at all, but I, I chose to not make it a footnote because I was just impressed with how Tennessee could just come out and flat-out dominate another ranked team. And Kentucky definitely, as I said, they're 5-3 and three with plenty of excuses for why they're actually there. They're not 5-3 and three and really anything that... Well, I shouldn't say excuses. R real reasons rather than excuses, I should have said. Uh, but they, they really... They, they shouldn't be 5-3. and three. They're a better team than a 5-3 and three team. Like, I don't think they should be in the same category as Louisville and South Carolina, even though they did lose to South Carolina, but... That was without their starting quarterback, as I've said like a thousand times now, so I'll move on from it. I just think that Tennessee deserves credit for getting this win, uh, especially not getting ahead of themselves and looking forward to the Georgia game that will take place next weekend. Obviously, that's college game day. It might even be number one versus number two in the playoff rankings, which we'll see about tonight. I really don't have any idea, any grasp whatsoever on what they might do. Uh, but then you have the Big 12, as I was talking about earlier in relation to Missouri, uh, and also in relation to Louisville a little bit, uh, here's an example of teams beating up on each other. 
Number nine in the country, Oklahoma State heading into the week. And then number 22, Kansas State beat them 48 to nothing. Uh, I guess the way the Big 12 is working, you just kind of slide up and down the rankings based on who you're playing in in your, in your last week, and you just hope that you win. And if you don't, you'll stay in the rankings, but move down a bit, maybe move down into the 20s, maybe the low teens, and then if you win, you might bounce up back into the top 10 again. Uh, it's a very interesting balance there. The one constant is that TCU still has not lost a game, uh, and they have a chance because they already did play Kansas State and Oklahoma State to run the table. They they absolutely could go 12-0 and in conference, uh, but if they don't, or sorry, 12-0 and on the season and undefeated in the conference, um, if they don't, though, the Big 12 won't get a team in the playoff. They they won't be able to get a one-team, or uh, sorry, a one-loss team in this year, and uh, TCU is their only hope in that in the first place because Oklahoma State has two losses, Kansas State has two losses, Texas has more than two losses, uh, Oklahoma has three losses, Kansas, who was a hope at the beginning of the year, has, also has a lot of losses now, isn't even ranked anymore, Baylor has three losses, basically everybody in the conference has two or three losses, with the exception of TCU. Uh, so they're kind of the last hope for the playoff, and uh, the Big 12 has just kind of cannibalized itself all season long, and that really isn't showing any signs of stopping, but when we move on to best road wins, we will talk about a team that's in a conference that hasn't cannibalized itself, and let's do that. Number two, Ohio State beat Penn State 44-31, to I should say number 13, Penn State. 28-17 uh, to was the fourth quarter score of this game, so the score more than doubled in the fourth quarter. It was 14-13 to Penn State at the half. It was 16-14 to Ohio State going into the third quarter. Ohio State, Ohio State scored two touchdowns on two plays. Uh, if you want to count the full drives, then Ohio State won three plays for 75 yards to score a touchdown and then got a scoop and score to make that, or maybe it was a pick, no, it was a pick six um, to make that a, uh, a second touchdown in two plays. And really, I mean, this is what they've done all season. Uh, they've just kind of gone on scoring runs when they've needed them the most to just blow out a team. The only exception to that was with Notre Dame where it wasn't really much of a big run. They just kind of got a few points here or there on a few straight possessions um, that were a little more grinded out drives, but still they were able to score and be effective. Whereas in this game, it was just quick hitters here and there. And then uh, JT Toi Moluau just started rolling over this game. I mean, this was, uh, I texted many people, this might have been the best individual performance I've seen in like any game, honestly. And it kind of came out of nowhere. He was a five-star. He was the number one player in the class of 2021, I believe. But at the same time, he hadn't really shown statistically or just on tape in general, that kind of prowess in playing for Ohio State. You always knew the talent was there, but the production hadn't quite been there. And then this game, it just erupted. I mean, this was just an insane game that he played. Uh, a lot of sacks. He tipped a pass that ended up being an interception. He got a pick six himself. He forced a fumble that he then recovered. He, he just destroyed the game for Penn State. Uh, it was pretty much all him and then Stroud capitalizing on the turnovers that he forced and the sacks that led to good field position. Uh, and Ohio State had a few chances to really close this game out early, but they didn't after getting two straight turnovers to start the game and scoring on their own opening drive, so you thought they'd be up more than 10 to nothing. That's how Penn State kind of got back into it in the second quarter uh, and were able to take the halftime lead, but then in the fourth quarter, Ohio State capitalized on every opportunity they were given, and they were able to go on the road and get that win. Uh, let's move on to another one. Number 15, Ole Miss beat Texas A&M 31-28. Maybe this doesn't belong here when you consider the magnitude of the other of these wins, but 
Still a good win nonetheless by Ole Miss. Uh, they're eight and one now. They're continuing a good season, and uh, barring uh, any upsets for the rest of the year, if they run the table, they will probably be in the playoff. The question is, can they actually do that? And the answer is probably not. But I will move on from them. Talk about Notre Dame, who went on the road and beat number sixteen Syracuse, forty-one to twenty-four. Syracuse, obviously ranked heading into this game. I don't know if they're going to be ranked in the playoff rankings. Uh, after this game, I bet Notre Dame will be because the playoff committee really has taken a liking to Notre Dame, as we all know. Uh, when they've made the playoff, they have not done anything, but they have still been invited back multiple times, uh, much to the chagrin of many people in college football because the same story plays out every time they get in to the playoff. But for now, they're a 5-3 and three team. We won't have to worry about Notre Dame making the playoff this season, but they might be ranked and people might be very upset about that. So be sure to check Twitter to see if their rivals are melting down uh, in anger about that. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I would not necessarily be mad myself because I actually do have them ranked, uh, but my dad might be. But let's move on to quick takes from other games across college football in week nine. Speaking of rivals, Michigan was able to take care of business against Michigan State. Actually, speaking of rivals of Notre Dame as well, both those teams don't like Notre Dame. Uh, and it will be interesting to see where the Wolverines, and honestly everyone else, is ranked in the first college football playoff rankings, which will come out later tonight. I've said that word like a thousand, I, I've said the, that phrase or a similar phrase a thousand times already. But look, it is interesting. I really don't have a grasp on who might be ranked where. There are definitely teams at the top who we know will be there. Uh, I would be utterly shocked if Alabama was above Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, or Michigan, but I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see them above Clemson. Uh, it would, it might be slightly interesting for that to happen, but I wouldn't put it past the committee to do that. But I do think that those four undefeated teams and then probably Clemson should be the top five. I don't really have the order other than the one that I have in my actual rankings, um, but I also do believe that the playoff committee might favor Tennessee over Ohio State and maybe even over Georgia. They could even end up number one just because their resume of beating ranked teams is what you'd like to see as the playoff committee. Like if the playoff were starting today, they would be the number one seed. But the good news is all of that will be worked out this weekend when Tennessee plays Georgia. Uh, if Georgia beats Tennessee, they take number one. If Tennessee beats Georgia, they take number one. And uh, I, I think it just sorts itself out naturally by the end of the season. So it's not really too much of a worry. And frankly, none of the rankings matter until the final rankings. But these ones will definitely be interesting to set the tone for the rest of the season and also see if the nightmare scenario of having three SEC teams in the playoff is possible uh, based on where Alabama's ranked. I don't really think this would determine that, but it's certainly a part of it. And we'll, I think TCU is also an interesting team to look at in the rankings. Uh, maybe the playoff committee even puts them above Clemson and shows some real surprise after snubbing TCU, what, I guess that was eight years ago at this point, and putting them at number five randomly. Uh, moving them down at the end of the season. But look, that's all I got for college football. I had a lot for sure. But let's move on to the MLB. I will have a lot less for MLB action because there have only been two games. It is the World Series. The Phillies won game one, six to five in 10 innings. And the Astros came back and won game two, five to two. This stuff is kind of old news. So you've already known uh, kind of what happened in these games. The Phillies uh, were down five to nothing in that game one. And the Astros kind of just, Verlander really choked the lead. Uh, and then the Phillies got a solo home run from JT Real Muto in the top of the 10th inning. And that led them to their win because the Astros were unable to respond in the bottom of the 10th inning. Uh, and then in game two, 
The Astros hit two doubles on the first two pitches of the game, and uh, that pretty much set the tone that the Astros were serious. They didn't like the fact that they blew that first game, and they meant business uh, going into game two, and I think they mean business for the rest of the series. I am sticking with my pick of the Astros in six, which I didn't entirely make very clear, uh, but especially now that the Phillies have won that game that was a little bit of an offensive shootout where both teams kind of had blowups in terms of the pitching staffs with Verlander and Nola. I do believe that that favors the Phillies lengthening the series a little bit, um, but I do think that the Astros are still going to win the series. Definitely have them, and I have them in six games. Uh, although the rainout of yesterday's game surely does help the Phillies because it's allowed them to have Aaron Nola pitch game four uh, as opposed to pitching maybe game five if if the series was maybe on the line he would pitch and then instead of having a bullpen game and then Nola, they're going to have Ranger Suarez tonight and then Aaron Nola tomorrow on more or less normal rest, technically four days rest, so technically a little bit short, a little shorter than you would want, but normal enough that a pitcher has done it plenty of times before in the season, although his record in those types of games is a little bit shaky, especially later in the year if you actually go and do the research into that. He's had a few very poor starts when starting on uh, four days rest recently, but I, I don't think it's going to be much of an issue in general. I, I do believe uh, that the Phillies won't win the series regardless of how Aaron Nola is feeling or how he pitches on short, night, short rest. I, I just believe that the Astros are better better hitting-wise, better pitching, and they just will win the series. That's kind of all I got. I mean, I think it's a pretty simple series. I think a lot of people have that same conclusion. And with that, we will move on to the NFL after that very short review of the MLB. Going to the NFL, the best games of Week 8 is where we will be starting. Uh, the Falcons beat the Panthers 37-34 to in overtime. This is one where I will say, if you want to know what happened... You should go back and watch it for yourself, and this time it is not in a, wow, this game was amazing way. This was a sign of neither of these teams, for whatever reason, wants to win this game, uh, and who could throw away the game the hardest felt like what the competition was rather than, you know, who can actually attempt to win the game and execute properly to do so. There were many, many things that went awry for both teams in this game, including uh, just a 60-yard catch, the longest catch in in the next-gen stats era, or not longest catch, but longest throw of air distance that was actually a, turned into a completion, I should say, uh, by DJ Moore, but then he took his helmet out, or took his helmet off out of the back of the end zone, which shouldn't be a penalty, but was called a penalty because they thought he was in the end zone. That unsportsmanlike was assessed to make a 48-yard extra point attempt. Uh, Joey Sly missed because, let's be honest, he's not that accurate of a kicker. Uh, or sorry, actually, it was Eddie Pinheiro. Joey Sly's on Washington now. He used to be on the on Carolina. But Eddie Pinheiro missed that. Uh, it, it forced the game to overtime, which, by the way, Falcons choked the game in the first place, and then the Panthers, with just an extra point to, took the, to take the lead, couldn't convert. So that was the first problem there. Uh, then the Panthers got an interception that was returned all the way to the 20, but missed a shorter field goal. And that allowed the Falcons to get the ball back again. Um, and they eventually made a field goal and won the game, but uh, yeah, that's my short synopsis of really a disastrous game by both teams. Neither team wanted to win the game by the looks of it. Um, I'm not saying that both of them were tanking or anything like that. It just looked very, very sloppy and bad, uh, but I'll move on from that. Talk about the Dolphins and the Lions. 
The Dolphins' defense did not show up in the first half, but it showed up enough in the second half. The Lions were up 27-17 to at the half, and I thought this game, I texted my dad and said, this is going to be a 45-41 to game. Um, but in the end, the Lions' defense, or sorry, the Lions' offense just completely staggered in the second half, and the Dolphins held them to no points. They held them scoreless in all of the second half, won the second half 14 to nothing, uh, and got that 31 to 27 lead. Didn't look back in the fourth quarter, iced the game away with some with a long drive just running out the clock, including some passes to Tyree Kill on that drive as well as just runs. Uh, but the Lions' defense falters again, cost them a game. Uh, their offense did enough literally in the first half alone, although obviously you don't want to go a whole half without scoring, and one touchdown could have won them the game, so there's equal blame on both sides of the ball, but 27 should always be enough to win a game, so I would put most of the blame on the defense for the Lions uh, for just letting the, Ly the Dolphins stay in that game for as long as they did, and then eventually they hung around, and the talent took over. The Dolphins were able to get the win, but let's move on to another game. The Vikings beat the Cardinals 34-26. to Gotta admit, I don't think I watched a minute of this game, uh, but the Vikings, they're 6-1 and one now. I mean, this is this is a big sign for this team. We've talked about the Packers' struggles before, and uh, I will mention them a little bit later as well. But they're 6-1 and one on top of the division right now, the Vikings are, and that is something that they should be extremely happy about, and that will help them uh, as they really have a clear path to winning their division. And uh, that might even be the one seed in the NFC with the way things are looking, although... The Eagles are having a ridiculous season, and it's really just one more game against the Cowboys that the Eagles are most likely to lose. I think they're the better team in every game on their schedule for the rest of the year. Uh, but the Vikings, they will have to deal with the Packers trying to struggle back and take the division lead back later in the year. We'll see what happens there. But for now, that 6-1 and one start has definitely jump-started their team and given them a very strong platform to stand on for the rest of the season. Uh, speaking of strong platforms, these two teams not so much. The Patriots beat the Jets 22-17. The Jets were 5-2 heading into this game, and the Patriots were struggling after getting blown out at home by the Bears. But all of a sudden, they rebound, and they're able to get a win against the Jets. Uh, this team, I don't know, uh, honestly, there's no reason why the Patriots won this game other than the fact that they are just a better coach team. Uh, they don't have as much talent, honestly, as the Jets do. Maybe with the injuries they do. Uh, but the Jets were looking so good this season, and then this is the type of loss where you lose to a team that you should beat, uh, especially within your division, and things might start to turn around in the season, and for the Jets this time around, that would be a very bad thing. Uh, but speaking of turnarounds, the Colts benched Matt Ryan and turned to Sam Ellinger from Texas from a few years ago, who promised that uh, Texas was back, and he was completely wrong. Well, the Colts aren't back either. The Commanders beat the Colts 17-16 this weekend to get to 4-4 four and four in the season. The Colts remain sub-500 with a 3-4-1 record. Uh, but then let's move on to the most impressive teams. Talked about it a little bit. The Ravens beat the Buccaneers 27-22. I was just impressed with the fact that the Ravens bounced back in this game. They had a very rough first half offensively. But even with uh, Rashad Bateman going out and getting injured and Mark Andrews being injured, Isaiah Likely and Demarcus Robinson stepped up for the Ravens. Uh, obviously with Lamar throwing to them, and they were able to get the win 27-22. to It was a very strong showing offensively from them. Then you have the 49ers. Uh, I believe the stat was out there that Christian McCaffrey, well, because he didn't play, but still, 
uh, out past Matt Ryan, outran Jonathan Taylor, and out-received Justin Jefferson in terms of yardage. Yes, he threw a touchdown pass this weekend. He also caught one, and he also ran one in, I believe. Maybe maybe there were two actually rushing touchdowns. I'm not quite sure, but he had over 100 or 200. I think he had over 200 all-purpose yards, uh, but without getting over 100 in any of those categories on, on their own. But he just had a ridiculous game, and he just diced up the Rams all game. The Rams had a good offensive game plan in the first half, and they were able to go up 14-10 to 10 at the half, but... They lost after holding a halftime lead, which I think has only been done once against Sean McVay uh, prior to this game. But the 49ers just had a better offensive game plan in the second half, and they have better talent now than the Rams, now that they have McCaffrey. Even though Debo was out, that makes it that it's probably pretty even on both sides, honestly. Uh, But Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey going forward, it really doesn't matter who's throwing to them, honestly. Uh, and we, we know that Garoppolo was good enough to get a team to the Super Bowl. Whether that was off his own back is obviously not true, but uh, he, he's good enough to lead a team that has talent to a Super Bowl, and the defense is playing good enough that when they get guys back from injury, they will be a pretty dominant defense. And when you have an offense with that many skill players that are really maybe even the best at their position, you can make the ar- certainly you can make the argument for Christian McCaffrey. Debo somewhere up there in the top five, top ten of receivers. Uh, and George Kittle definitely in the top five or top ten of tight ends. So you have a lot of good position players if you're the 49ers. And four and four with the five and three Seahawks in the lead in the division is a pretty good sign for them. Although the Rams never beat the 49ers. Um, so a three and four start that includes two losses to the Niners is not honestly the worst case scenario. Because if you just shoot it penciled in the uh, 49ers games as losses every year, which you could have done last season, uh, then it really didn't affect anything. The Rams still lost both times to the Niners, but still ended up with home field, whether that that was an advantage or not is a different story, but ended up with home field uh, and then obviously played in the NFC Championship game in LA against San Francisco and won to win the Super Bowl eventually. But the Rams got to get it together. This does not feel like it's just a 49ers are beating them specific problem anymore. This team just does not feel like it has any flow offensively other than throwing the ball to Cooper Cup. And there's just a lot of issues that the Rams have to iron out and probably get another player on defense, honestly, before the end of the trade deadline to really solidify themselves. Although I think the trade deadline has already passed at this point, so I don't think anything went down with the Rams, but we'll have to see uh, if there was anything or if they make a free agent signing. I don't know if Odell comes back. There's a lot of things floating up in the air for the Rams, but they just need to get better offensively and defensively right now. Speaking of a team who definitely needs to get better offensively, the Raiders were shut out this weekend by the Saints. Uh, the Saints won 24 to nothing. Actually, the McCaffrey stat was Derek Carr, not even Matt Ryan, now that I think about it. Uh, but the Saints won 24 to nothing. They're now 3-5 and five on the season, but the Raiders down to 2-5. and five. They made the playoffs last year, added Devontae Adams, and somehow are playing much, 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 much worse. I don't have an explanation. I have barely been watching them, honestly, uh, so I don't have anything very specific to draw on. They just haven't played well this season, and uh, I don't really know who's to blame. I don't know if there is any singular person to blame or a coordinator or a coach or anything. They're just not playing well as a team. But speaking of a team who is playing well as a team, actually both of these teams, the Seahawks beat the Giants 27-13. They are the leaders in the NFC West as is. Uh, The Seahawks just played a good game. I mean, Kenneth Walker has been playing well all season. Geno Smith has been playing well all season. You knew that Metcalf and Lockett were going to contribute. 
They are very good players, but, you know, having a third round, I think he was a third round pick, as a rookie, as a running back, be your best skill player, arguably, uh, after your starting running back goes down, and then having Geno Smith having a resurgent season is just a lot of things went, you know, a lot of things just went in the Seahawks' way to start the year, and uh, it doesn't really look like they're showing any signs of stopping anytime soon, so they're taking the 5-3 and three record uh, into Week 9, and we will see what happens with the Seahawks. Before we wrap up the edition of the 4th and 24 podcast, my last quick take is just that the Packers did look a little better offensively against the Bills, but the injury bug is catching up with them as well, uh, and I don't really know what their future looks like. It's very, very cloudy. It's foggy. Uh, it, it, there's not really one solid thing that they can hang their hats on. You just have to hope that they keep playing better because the talent is there, and they have Aaron Rodgers, and they have Aaron Jones. Uh, but that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 8th, where we will recap my weekend predictions, have our weekly look at the MLB. This time, it will be the end of the World Series, I believe, and look back at the highlights of Week 10 of college football and discuss Week 9 of NFL action. And one more thing, we will be talking about the NBA, I promise. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my weekly college football, our weekly college football rankings that were posted on Monday, my preseason NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted on Wednesdays, although not tomorrow, uh, but then every Wednesday after that for the rest of the season once games have actually begun, which actually begins on Sunday. Um, and then my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.